Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to uh, the end of summer, the beginning of fall at Eastlake. We're so glad that you're here. I know it feels like, you know, I, you're, it's a holiday weekend too. So for those of you who came out in person, man, you guys are rock stars. For those of you watching online or on replay, I get it. I understand. Uh, so we're thankful you took time out of your week to do it as well. But uh, we're finishing up a series which feels appropriate to the season uh, as we enter into this. As, as we mentioned the video, new service times next week. And congratulations to all you parents whose uh, kids started school this week. I, I was uh, talking with one of our teachers in one of our kids' areas. Who's It's funny. She volunteers in our kids' area, and she's a teacher all week. That just feels like double punishment. I don't even know what you would, why you would do that. Uh, but I've been super thankful for all of them, and this is our last week where they have to serve. When you know during the summer, summer they've had to serve uh, during services and never get to attend. So I just was making my way through there, being like, "Thank you, one last time." You know, we're back to two services. You can serve one attend one, blah blah blah. And I said, first week, how'd it go? Your teacher, like, what was the first week like?" And she's like, "I forgot what it's like to be teacher tired." And I, and I, it was like, and I was like, oh man, and it didn't even start till Wednesday. So this is this is amazing. So it's if your teacher tired, if your parent tired, or whatever, uh, I totally get it. Uh, but uh, we're we're pumped to close off a series today. Uh, the series has been called a gentle answer. It's a, a response to uh, a response to circumstances in life that ge- would oftentimes generate overreactions. But it's this has been a series on underreactions. We've said the tendency for us is to you know have something happen and we tend to overreact. And what's unfortunate a lot of times is we tend to over, overreact most. Aggressively and most obviously, and the ones that we kind of um, afterwards are like, crud, I shouldn't have done that, to the people that we love the most, right? The people who share our last name, share our DNA, live in our household, uh, are called our parents or our kids or our teenagers or whatever. Uh, and overreactions can be, uh, can, can cause some strife, can be things that we look back on and be like, that was just heat of the moment. I, I, that's not really me. And then like you get, you're, and you're like, is that me though? Am I a bad parent? Am I working through some of this? Um, and what's fun is, um, my mom and dad recently retired. They, they've been in, in church ministry uh, for over 40 years, and they just retired this last June. I don't think they're here today, so I think it's okay to talk about this. Um, uh, and uh, so they have been uh, kind of sneaking in uh, mid-service or, or just before service starts and, and watching. And she caught me in the lobby last week after this, and she goes, oh, love this series on overreaction. She says that about every series, so don't worry. It's not like this was a really good one. It's every, every, every series is like, oh, this is so good. I'm like, no, it's not that good. It's okay though. Um, and she goes, uh, I've got a meme for you. You've got a show. And anytime, uh, I don't know where you're at with your parents and parent memes, but they oftentimes think that something you get it and you're like, Oh, chuckle, chuckle, you know, friendly <laughs> chuckle. Um, I, I'm doing this cause I'm your son. Um, but when she sent me this one this week, I get it because it kind of feels, so I told her I would show it even though she's not here. So if you got this in the back, would you mind throwing that up on the screen for me there? It's called a, it's called, it's called a blinker. And I looked at it and I thought, she goes, I've made that face. That's what she said. And I've said, I've seen that face from you. And, I, and a part of me was like, an overreaction would be buying a dog like that, thinking I need a dog and then I'm going to buy that dog. That dog looks like a dog I'd like to have at my house. Um, so there's all kinds of overreactions that sort of take place. 
uh, in this thing. So mom, if you're listening to this on replay, I did it. I showed it for you. There you go. Um, but yeah, so th- then the invitation really is to something different. And we said that um, Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus, he was, uh, he was consistently treated unjustly, unkindly. And he had a certain, I mean, like, you know, like his first three years of ministry were, were, were great. Like people loved him because, I mean, he's healing people and feeding people. How do you not like somebody who heals you and feeds you, right? And you love your doctor and you love the, the guy that's making your, your, your thing of the Japanese hibachi or whatever, right? So we love that. We, we, uh, but, but then like things turned and, the, and then uh, it began to be uh, the whole passion week of Jesus, the put on trial, this sort of thing. And he ended up uh, paying with his life for this thing. And he, he saw it. And, and not only that, but even, even with the, the, the religious leaders of the time, even though he was popular with the general public, there were certain religious leaders and, and pastors and of that time who who were skeptical of him, would look on him and say, why is he so popular? Why, did, why are they following him and not me? And so they begin to question him and, and treat him unjustly and unkindly. And he took, when, when you read the story, when you read through all of this, he took every oppor- he, he took every time that those people would act in that way, saw it as an opportunity to underreact. He was noted for his underreactions in this. When he's, uh, we, we looked at last week when he's being interrogated by Pilate instead of kind of, you know, just empowering up and saying, who are you? And, and you wouldn't have any authority if God didn't give you authority and I'm God. And so therefore it's me and you actually work for me. You know, like, in, instead of saying all of that, his choice of words, his demeanor, his everything was, was very, was very smooth. It was very like, and you've seen people like this too. You have people in your life that you, you had a never, another level of respect for them when something happens to them that's unjust, unfair, unkind, and they, they chose to underreact. And maybe they didn't even do it, not out of like a religious obligation. Maybe they're not even particularly religious and they would you know, bring that, not bring that to the conversation, but they do it and you go, man, that, that response, because if that was me, if that had happened to me, I, I know I would have probably overreacted or at the very least reacted appropriately to the circumstances that if you hurt me at, at a level seven, I would respond with aggression at level seven, right? Um, I might not bump it up to eight, nine, 10, but uh, it's really hard when people hurt you at a seven and you respond with a four. Like that's like such, that, that takes such like courage, bravado, like in, 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 in forethought too, because you can't, you, you don't make those reactions in the moment. That thing, that kind of stuff does not come naturally. There is pre-work that must take place in order to do that. And so you've respected that in the, in, in the lives of people that you look at. And then the invitation of Jesus is clearly to respond in this way for particular reasons, not just to be a good person, but like, because we looked at last week, he said, because things aren't, re- we react because we want things to be in our control, but nothing's really in our control anyways. Do we trust God enough to be like, you know what? It doesn't matter anyways. Like all of this plays into this. If I really, if I really love God, and we just sang, I trust you with my whole heart, like this song that we just sang. If that is all true, then that should have an impact on the reason, the motivation for underreacting to circumstances. So we want to do this not just because we're a good person, because it falls into line with both the example set by Jesus, and then if we take him his truth in his teachings at, at not just at face value, but deep down, we would see that this would lead to then underreactions in this way. So uh, we, we looked at this and we looked at a verse by first Peter as well. Peter writing to his church, a church, a book, a letter that he wrote to his church about suffering. Like they were going through some very tangible suffering. And he makes the link between what Jesus went through and their current state of suffering. And here's what they had to say, or he had to say to his church in kind of a pastoral advice. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges 
justly. Instead, he trust, entrusted himself. He looked, he looked down from the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He responded in this way. And he then invites us to do the same. Why? For what reason? What motivation? To look cool? No, but to live out this idea of do we live uh, with the idea that God is actually in control? Do we entrust ourselves uh, to a God who judges justly? Um, do, do we, do, are we willing to kind of put aside that, that feeling of control? So we're gonna pick up today in a, a passage. Um, we're gonna close this series off um, with a passage that shows up in uh, Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the Roman church. Um, again, a little backdrop on this. This is P- Paul would have gone and, and started a bunch of churches and acted as sort of a outside council, um, an outside board member, writing and responding to issues that are arising within the church. That's what we get in Corinth uh, with the Corinthian letters. Uh, we get that with Galatians and Philippi. Romans is a unique one. Um, there existed a church in uh, a, a gathering of people who were trying to kind of be followers of Jesus with in the city of Rome, uh, the capital of the world at that point. And he knows he wants to make his way there and, uh, and be sort of a pastoral figure for them. Um, uh, and so he, he's writing to them to try and convince them of, of his moral authority and his, and his apostolic authority and all, all of these things. So it's a very heady book. It's a very, um, he is doing his, his best to kind of process through a bunch of stuff and, um, and work through things to help them kind of get on the same page and then begin to trust him when he comes and offers some advice. And so in Romans chapter eight, we get to the spot where he talks about um, suffering and, and we get to this piece where he's talking about the suffering of the world and the brokenness of the world, that it's creation groans in anticipation of its final redemption, that everything is broken, that when you look out at the world, you, what you see is chaos. What you say, see is, is things falling apart. What you see sometimes is that the, 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 the thought process that says maybe God isn't in control. Maybe there isn't a God out there. Maybe that's, maybe that's just how like existence operates. And he goes, no, underlying all of that is something that God is still at work in this, that God's spirit specifically is continually at work even though Jesus is not on the scene anymore, we know, Paul would say, we know that when he left, he promised God's spirit in this. And that spirit kind of facilitates all of the actions of God in this world, that God is not through with this world yet. And he's not through with creation. And you individually are a part of that creation. And so he's gonna talk through this as well. He's gonna say, this is not just for the big, you know, big picture sort of stuff. It happens individually for, for, for you too. So if you're going through circumstances that would cause you to question God or the existence of God or the goodness of God or the abilities of God or whatever. He's not done. He's not finished at work. He's still behind all of this. His spirit still works for the good in you, which is why he says this. And we know, verse 28, that in all things, God works. We know that in everything, God works. And then immediately, like if we're reading this and specifically depending on what season of life that we're in and what kind of questions we have and pushbacks against us, we would say, I don't know, everything, Paul, like in all things, because I've had some things happen recently that begin that make me question if God is at, is at work behind this. And if this is so, like, what's the point? Why would he allow this? Why, why, why? What's... What, I, I just can't get behind a God who would say that he is, he's like allowing this to kind of happen or okay with this or uh, it just, it's so hard. And Paul says, in, here's what we know. In all things, God works. And this is not, by the way, everything happens for a reason. 
We've heard that sort of theology before, but that's not what's happening here. It's not, it's not that God's purpose is behind everything in this way. Like God ordained this for this reason. I think what Paul is really trying to say is no matter what takes place, I think there's a freedom of, of will. I think there's a freedom of existence. I think that, that God has given us free will choice to begin to choose to obey or, dis, or, or disobey or go our own way and do our own things. And he says, no matter what you choose, one, my grace and my love will always be there for you. And I will continue to work no matter what path is chosen, no matter what way it goes, God is at work or can be at work or is behind everything in, in, in everything, that nothing is ever a lost cause. In all things, God works for those, for the good of those who love him, for the good of those who love him, to those who have entrusted their lives to him. And this is a, a, a phrase, by the way, that would be, um, you know, shows up in multiple religions. This would be almost a phrase that Paul like borrows even from other, other sort of world religions at the time. And, and no doubt there's a, a reference a little bit here to the idea of uh, the story of Job, which all of the, his audience would have been familiar with, right? This historical, or this, this treatise on, 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 on this person who existed, who had t- tons of terrible things happen to him. And, and the entire book, which is probably, by the way, one of the oldest books in the Old Testament. I know it doesn't show up till later and it's kind of its own deal. It's kind of a wisdom literature text but really early on, it's a treatise t- talking about our response to a God who exists and, 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 and seems to operate on a level of control that we're not aware of. And Job continuously is like, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm gonna continue to trust that God is in control, that God is still at work, that he's not done with me yet. Even though his friends are telling him, dude, you did something wrong, like something's wrong with you. What happened? What did you do in secret that, that, that is causing all of these things. Because they operate with this mindset, I do good, God repays me with good. If I do bad, he punishes me with bad, right? And, and, and that's just not how this thing works. And so they're saying that if that's the framework, what is it that you've done? And he's continuing to say, I don't know why this is happening, but I am choosing to put my trust in a God who is not done, who doesn't see anything as a lost cause. And I don't know why this is happening, but I think even in something like this, God can continue to work. And so so Paul, in writing this to these people, is talking about this on a grand picture, but then he brings this in to those who love him and are called according to his purposes and says, even in your life, I don't know what it is that you're going through, Paul would say, but in, in everything, in, in whatever story that you have, that there is no, well, I mean, you know, what about this? If you knew what I was going through, Paul says that there is no category in which this doesn't reflect the, the greatness of God, the ability of God. In things I would choose, in things I wouldn't choose, God is still at work. And here's the deal, Paul would say, and we know that. And that's the problem too, a lot of times, right? If I really knew that, that would help out a lot in this situation. But sometimes I don't really feel like I know that. And he's almost, it's almost as if Paul is speaking something and, and we know that, don't we? And we'd be like, I don't know that. That's the problem, Paul. Like, I want, I want to know that, I want to think that, but there's just some pieces of me that can't get behind that. Or I begin to question, I begin to doubt, I begin to wonder. It's been a long time. It, when, it, when something like this first went down, I, I took the high road approach, I underreacted. But that underreaction's been facilitated or, or continued or the consequences of that has been more bad circumstances. And so how do I know that, Paul? How do I believe that? I, I wanna believe that, but help me, help me with my unbelief in this way which is why he doesn't stop. He goes on. What then shall we say in response to these things? How then should we react? 
What is the response? What, what is the purpose? What, what is the thing where if, if this is true, what's our response to this? He tells us how to prepare ourselves for an underreaction, and he gives us something to say. What shall we say in response to this? He's giving these people a tool, a resource, a some phrase, verbiology, whatever, to be able to work through. And then he goes on in 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now we can change the pronoun a little bit too, right? Um, and, and say, if, if God is for me, because if he's for us in general, then I think individually it works on that level as well, even though this is a, you know, I am modifying the translation a little bit. Hold, you know, don't hold that against me. But if God is for me, then who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? And, and Paul would say, listen, in those moments where life is crashing all around you and you go, I would love to know that God is still in control, that God continue and can still work in this. Paul would say, then here's what you should do, audibly, with your mouth. And the words that come out of you, begin to say these words and recite them to yourself to try and convince yourself of something, to, to speak it and speak these, this thing into existence. If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, what, what, else, what else do I have to fear? What else do I have to worry about in this way? And so my, my encouragement to you in, in, the, in the, this part of this series, if we've said, listen, this is why this is so important. This is, this is you know, it's about control and it's about this and, and, and the example that Jesus gives for us and invites us into. How do we do this? How do we pray this out? How does this work out practically in my, in my life? Give me something I can hold on to and actually go and do. Okay, here it is. When you're in those moments where you're going, I don't know if all of these things are gonna work out. I don't know if even in this, God will work things out for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I don't know. Then audibly, with your words, if God is for me, who can be against me? Imagine pausing before reacting to something. Imagine pausing in those moments where, you know, this thing is going to result in an overreaction almost for sure. I'm going to be, I know I'm going to feel guilty about it. I, I should probably work to underreact. What would happen? What would it look like? Would it be, would you be better off if in that moment we paused and said, here's what I know. Here's what I want to know. Even if I don't know it yet, if God is for me, who can be against me? This is what we say to these things. And a lot of times it doesn't feel like God is for us. Which is why then Paul continues. And he goes, I can prove it to you. I know he is. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. It's a, it's a rational question. Okay, Paul, how do I know that God is for me? Is it like continual signs every week? If I, if I do this and I put something out that I, 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 I make him, I say, God, if you're for me, then like let this light turn green or it, let, me, let me do this or let this, it, this job come through, this thing. He goes, listen, that's all just whatever. That's like a testing thing. That's not a trust thing at all. Here's what we do know. We never have to question where we stand in relation to does God care about us, love us. Why? Paul would say, because we can look back on something 
that he sent his son. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The cross is how we know, we know, we know, we know that God is for us, which is why when we receive communion on an almost monthly basis, whenever we close up a series, we do this. There's always a slide on the screen that has three parts to this. We do this for a couple of reasons. One, we do it because of what, was, what it means about what it was said about us. We, never, we now know where we stand in relation to God. We do this in community. It's like a present focus. And we do this in anticipation of a world that doesn't have all of this brokenness and a creation that finally does see its final redemption. But a big piece of that at the very beginning is, why do we gather? Why do we partake in this communion thing? Is it just this motion that we go through? Does it make us feel better? No, it's, I know where I stand in relation to God. I know that he's for me. I know that no matter what I've done, he doesn't look at me and say, lost cause, too far out, not good enough. Maybe if you'd tried a little harder, maybe if you'd work a little bit more, maybe if you'd showed up to Eastlake on September 4th, Labor Day. No, just kidding. That's a, that's a harsh one. I spoke to the camera on that one for those of you who are, I'm, I'm joking. But I mean, but part of that is like this negotiating thing, Right? We like it's it's a it's definitely a phase of personal religion to get into the spot where we're like, okay, God, we're, I'm I'm just figuring this out, I'm doing this, and we feel like in negotiations, how it works with humans is, I do good things for you, you give me a paycheck, right? I, or or you, you you become my customer, my whatever. I, I, it's this back and forth sort of thing, and we in, we bring that into this relationship with God. And we're like, hey, let me try and be good for you, and then maybe you'll do good things for me. He's like, that's not how this works. I made a statement before you were ever even born. Listen, I gave my son for creation, all of this. I have a plan at place and at work. I'm inviting you to be a part of the solution, but you never have to question whether I love you or not. That's already been resolved. That's already been settled. I underreacted to your sin and your rebellion as a, as a human race. I sent my son to die on a cross for you, that you. And now you get to kind of participate and be like, thank you, God, for letting me know every single week where I stand with you, that you absolutely do love me, that you do not see me as a lost, as a lost cause. And that your spirit at, is at work in my life, in all of the things that I do, in all of the messes that I create for myself and my family that no matter where I go and what I do, that you still are at work behind the scenes in this. He finishes up. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him give, graciously give us everything else? This is why Paul says, you can say with all confidence, with all authority, listen, if God is for me, if God is for us, who can be against us? I know that he is. I, can, I, I celebrate, I participate in this sacrament of the church to remind myself tangibly that he is. But if that's true, then that gives me a motivation. That gives me a reason to underreact to all of this. To not try and overreact because I I'm, I'm feel like I'm losing control, but to say, you know what? God's in control of this anyways. It gives us the ability when somebody treats us like an enemy that we don't have to begin to return the favor. To understand that sometimes our reactions is just our way of dealing with a lack of control. Our overreactions are us just dealing with a, a, a thing that we say is we just don't have 
the controller. We don't, we don't have the power. We don't like being on this side of things for that. And Jesus' invitation is to say, listen, hey, this is what it reacts and, and or this is what it looks like to react Christian. And Paul invites his church to do the same thing, to underreact in these circumstances or refuse to try and control outcomes. And I know, again, I said this last week, there are people who would hear this and, and watch this and, and be like, Brian, that sounds good, but you don't really know. Like, can I talk to you about my circumstances? Because you live like a pastor life and that's real cool, man. But like, um, I deal with like the real world and um, I don't think they like let you out. Do they let you out of the building once a week or how does this work? Like, I've heard, listen, when, when I get emails or texts from people that's like, hey, can we have coffee and share my story? And they begin to talk, my heart breaks. And I realize sometimes how blessed and, and, and lucky I am. And, and, um, and, and I hear things and, and, and sometimes you're like, man, that is, that is so incredibly painful. And, and, and again, some of it is, is I, listen, I chose my way into this. I decided my way into this. I, I had some lack of boundaries in certain areas. I did this I, and, and I'm, I'm picking up the pieces. But then some of it's just like random bad luck, man. And it sucks. And how easy for you, Brent, to be up there and be like, hey, if God's for me, who can be against me? And, but, and God's at work and everything. And, and, and in all things, God works together for the good for those who love him. But I just, my pattern doesn't say that that's true. So then I, I get that. I understand that pushback. I guess my response to that would be, like, consider the alternative. What's the alternative? Worry yourself to death? What's the alternative? Do everything that you can to power up and get in control. Try and achieve as much control of your life as possible. Make people around you know exactly where they stand with you and, <laughs> and how to make you get on, their good, on your good side and on your bad side. Live with extreme anxiety about everything. I mean, that's hard. What, cast your cares on you because in the end, you're the only one that will care about you? Spend your life worrying about tomorrow because you've got to, right? That's the opposite of what Jesus is trying to walk us into. When he's on this mountaintop with these people, he's talking to them. Look at these birds, man. Look at the flower who doesn't like try and like a, be a really good flower. They just are. They're just like, they... They're, they're, they're just there. They're just doing what they're called to do. They're, they have no control about anything. And God cares for them anyways. How much more would he, how, how much more would he care about somebody like you? So his invitation, Matthew records an invitation from Jesus almost immediately after this scene where Jesus begins to talk about all of these things. And the message to the people listening to that day is, come to me, all of you who are weary, and burdened, and I will give you rest. You do not need to overreact to anything. You can choose to underreact because you can live with the idea that if God is for me, you know, who can win against me? And so with that, if we actually embrace something like that, then this invitation makes sense Come to me, all of you who struggle with anxiety and worry about all of these things and control and fighting so hard to make sure everything's in this way. Come to me instead, and I will give you what I promise you. My, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light, he would go on to say. What I'm inviting you into is a release of all of that. It is an underreaction that says, I'm gonna trust 
that in all things, God continues to be at work. That he is not finished with me yet. And rest. Rest. Rest is what is on the table for us. Is not most of our life a struggle against that? I'll rest when I'm dead. I got to earn money. I got to do this. I got 24 third graders, Brent. I got report cards. I got all kinds of rest. Yeah, I got deadlines. I got things. I got, if I don't do this, if I don't plan this deal, I'm probably going to lose my job, let alone, you're probably not. But, you know, I don't know, maybe you are. So I, I don't want to say you won't. Don't come to me like, Brent, I took your advice and I'm out of a job. What, you got anything at the church for me? I don't. But so I, I, I get all of that. But like, how many times have we convinced ourselves, if I don't do this, oh, man, and everybody else around us pays the price through overreactions because we're stressed out of our minds. And Jesus offers us rest to say, hey, my yoke is easy. My burden is like, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We can choose to underreact. And when a tool, a possible resource, a tool is Paul saying, pause, audibly tell yourself, God is for me, who can be against me? And how do we know that God's for us? Because his son was sent for us. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. We're gonna close in communion. We're gonna practice this. We're gonna do this. Um, the couple of teams are gonna make their way out. And if you've never been a part of uh, communion at Eastlake, the uh, band plays one last song, a time of reflection, uh, but an open invitation to also come forward, find one of these two stations on the left or the right, <clears throat> take a little cup, somehow peel off the top layer of this thing. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, take the bread and, and the juice, and it's a, a symbolic representation of, of the, the dinner that was recorded in many of the Gospels about Jesus' last supper with his disciples, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. I'm about to, I'm about to go through with this in the most unjust, unkind thing that could ever happen to somebody. I'm going to respond. I'm going to underreact in this way, and I want you to remember this night. I want you to remember this moment. I want you to focus on this, this statement of love that we're doing this for them as a shared meal around a, a, a dinner table together in anticipation of a, redem uh, of a future redemption and a future uh, day of glory. So um, the bands will play one last song. Anytime during the song, you feel free to in, uh, slip out and come forward, grab one of those things, head back to your seat. Uh, zero obligation. So we never want to make you do anything you don't want to do. So if you're comfortable just sitting there or standing there, that's totally fine too. But would you stand with me? I'm going to close in prayer. And then we get a chance to practice exactly this. Father, May we, as we participate in communion together, remember that peace that your son, his life and his sacrifice and his death on the cross for us is a, a, a statement of love. That oftentimes we give good things to our kids because we love them. We, we're out of obligation. It's Christmas, it's their birthday. But when we do this, we do this. That, that, that's a, it's a, a sim symbol of love. But what was done in this scenario, what makes this so unique is that Paul, when he talks about like, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ sent, uh, uh, there was a message that God was trying to send to the world. And he is deeply and madly in love 
with his creation. That he hurts when we hurt, that when we are in pain, he feels that pain, and that he is uh, at work in all things. That in everything, God continues to be at work. So we hold we hold that to be true, sometimes maybe philosophically, but maybe for those of us who are in the midst of something that's really, really hurting, the pain is acute and it's right here and it's, may, may that rest in our soul. May that provide some promised rest for us. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard, the courage to do something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.